Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Welcome to episode 179 of the Square Ball Podcast with Levi Solicitors. 10% off your legal fees when you mention the Square Ball. 20% off for key workers if you head to levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the Square Ball. I'm Dan Moylan. With me, well, remotely is Michael Normanton. Hello. And remotely elsewhere, Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. Our website is the place to be if you want to keep up to date with the Square Ball. There is that free colouring book still available on there in the online shop. Just download it. Have a bit of fun, you and the kids. And if you feel like making some sort of boredom-fueled impulse purchase of a mug or some clothing, some merchandise, then we absolutely wouldn't mind that. Everything is at thesquareball.net. Football finally moving back towards a restart then, boys. We finally got a date of May the 25th that UEFA have asked their top European leagues to communicate their planned restart of competitions. That's the deadline, May the 25th. And the same deadline applies as well for leagues wishing to explain ending their season early in, and I use the term in quotes, special circumstances. There does seem to be an opportunity here for Leeds United because what UEFA are all obsessed with is when they can play the Champions League, basically, when they can have the final, when they can start next season's competition. I don't think they're really all that bothered if the the Luxembourg Division 2 finishes or, or comes to a conclusion. But so they've said that if leagues can't finish, UEFA would prefer playoffs to determine Euro- European places. But whatever happens, they want teams to qualify on sporting merit, on objective, transparent and non-discriminatory principles. And I can't think of many teams in this country who on sporting merit deserve a place in the Champions League when it begins again more than Leeds United. So I think we should put ourselves forward. I mean, the French League isn't going to be restarting before September, so I don't see how any of their teams are going to be able to get into any of the European competitions. So all their places are up for grabs. Get Leeds in. I think as well, if we're going to have it, we might as well have Bayern Munich's place as well. I know it's going back a little bit to correct that mistake that was made in 1975, but... Better to do it now than never, isn't it? They are one of the the leagues that are restarting, though. The, the Germany Bundesliga is going to do all its ghost games and get it all sorted as quickly as they can. So maybe it's uh, going to be difficult to take their their place. We could have the rematch. Never mind having the uh, the legends that we're going to be playing, Michael Brown and everyone else who was going to turn up to play against Owen Hargreaves. We'll we'll play it now. Put Bielsa's leads. Pit Tyler Roberts against whoever plays for Bayern Munich now. Still Beckenbauer. I think so. Lothar Mateus, I think it is now. He took over. Oh, yes, of course. 
Beckenbauer will want to referee it again, won't he? But either way, I'm sure we'll go in there and we will win it because we are good enough. We are the best football team in all the land and all the world. But joking apart, I'm encouraged to see a return towards normal stuff. Again, we always caveat this by acknowledging what's going on, uh, the bigger picture, and that's first and foremost what's important. But I feel like I need football back, uh, football back now. I mean, as much as I do enjoy spending all this time with my family and unable to go out, it's getting to a point. I think it's reached the point where I would go out to watch, watch any sport right now, just to just to get out of the house and see some other people for a little while. I mean, I'm less, you say you're encouraged by it, but I'm less encouraged by the Dutch who've just decided to say, let's not bother. And they're not, they're not finding a nice fair way to decide places. They're just saying, let's pretend this never happened, which doesn't sound particularly fair or like something I want as a team that is top of the league. Yeah, they've gone for a little bit of a mixture of pretending it never happened, but then also uh, selecting who can have prizes based on what did happen. So there aren't going to be any champions and there aren't going to be any relegated teams, but you do get into Europe based on the position you had uh, when they played the last game, which, I mean, that's the situation now. Obviously, there's already politicians in the Netherlands saying, you need to reverse this decision and Utrecht are starting legal action because they are three points off the last European place and say they had every expectation of overtaking Willem Twey, um, as would the lads at Vitesse Arnhem, who were, had the same number of points as Utrecht, also three points behind the last European place, and have J. Roy Grot in their team. So obviously had a big, big advantage going into the, the end of the season to storm into Europe that's been taken away from them. The other end, you've got Cambour, who were 11 points clear of third place in the Erste division, the one below the Erie division, and they're not going up and they are fuming. The quote was something about it being like the the darkest day in all history of Dutch sports because um, them not going up means that Den Haag and their manager, Alan Pardew, are not going down despite being seven points below safety, minus 29 goal difference, no wins in the last seven, and Lawrence de Bock at left back. But um, I'm assuming de Bock and Pardew and maybe Pavel Shibitsky was there for three games at the start of the season, all get their non-relegation bonuses because of this. So there's another thing that uh, other teams can sue them over because I'm sure Cambour probably have a fantastic left back who will not be earning anything like the, the plaudits and the the paychecks of Lawrence de Bock, who is not a fantastic left back. Is it possible they could be forced to keep him now, having avoided relegation? It could have been something that was written in the loan, loan deal that if they if he keeps them up with his heroic performances, which I think we can all agree he's really put in for them, then they might be forced to buy him. They, must, they might have the money to do it because they get to another season of all the top flight cash. I mean, we probably don't need to go over the merits and the ethics of all this because we've done it quite a lot over the, the last few weeks. And in light of what you have touched on before about the French League is effectively being cancelled by the government, they haven't they haven't shut it down. They're just saying there's going to be no opportunity to play it. So that probably looks like that's it. You suspect in the UK anyway that the primary driver here, as it tends to be with a lot of things, is going to be money and the fact that they've just accepted an absolutely massive wedge of money for all the overseas broadcasting rights of the Premier League. I get the sense that, whether you agree with the ethics of this or not, that the overriding concern with that, and it will filter up to government level, is that there's so much money at stake and this product must be delivered come hell or high water. And I think we're probably just one step behind that with the EFL in that they're going to want to protect, as they phrase it, 
the uh, the sporting integrity of these competitions, and they're going to want their twenty team Premier League next year. And well, we better be bloody well in it. There's a mixture, I think, of the the broadcasting commitments, and then there's also the uh, the question of morale, which it sounds like the the UK government are spending a lot of time talking to the Premier League, saying, like, "Look, you know, people keep dying. Can you do anything to cheer people up? Can you stick some games on the telly? That that'd be good. Create a distraction. I mean, it's it's a cynical view, but I do feel like that is the way it's going. That it's um, with a, a deepening crisis, the the, the vibes, and the, certainly the way it's being reported is that it's regarded that Premier League football on the television would cheer people up during a miserable time. And there's probably some truth to that. I think if Leeds United started playing games and they were on my TV, I would be delighted to sit down and watch Tyler Roberts um, and uh, and the rest of them playing football today. But I also think that's a bit of a cop-out in some ways and that we have to be very careful about not doing that before other things are in place because the the number of people who will have to be kept virus free for even one game to happen can only go forward once we are absolutely confident that for example Jack Grealish is not taking a coronavirus testing kit away from a nurse as long as they both have one crack on i think we're we're ready to go at that point if it's a choice don't give it jack and when you look at the the spanish league have said that they the teams only want to restart training if they can test all their players and staff every single day, that's one of the conditions they're talking about for coming back. And you multiply that, I think you're talking about ballpark, 100 people at every club, 20 teams at the Premier League, 2,000 people to test every single day. And we've been struggling to hit those numbers of tests with the general public. It seems like there's still quite a, a long way to go before we're ready and rushing into something just to cheer everybody up. We can be cheered up later when it's not going to have other consequences that would be more miserable longer term. Based on that description, though, that's exactly the reason why I think they will probably go ahead and do it, for want of a better phrase, yes, a distraction. Well, again, we know we've done, like I said, we've done the ethics of this quite a bit over recent weeks, so probably have a look at the stuff that has come to light this week, which is including one suggestion that's come from the corridors of FIFA, apparently, about the use of five substitutes because everyone's going to be a bit tired when they come back and not quite fit, which... It doesn't make sense to me, this, because you would effectively be changing the rules of football mid-season and you then wonder, if you applied the the five subs retrospectively, what sort of an effect would having had those extra subs be avail- been available in the previous 37 games, how would they have changed? You know, we're talking about preserving sporting integrity. That doesn't sound to me like the right way to do it. Oh, it's not that bad, is it? I mean, it's going to be the same for everyone from this point on. I think it's just, it's FIFA trying to give a little bit of something to the players to say, look, you probably are going to be a bit tired, but you know, you can have rolling subs like it's five aside at goals. Just do it like that. Then we can all be, then we can all be fine. I'm not opposed to sort of these changes coming in at this point because I, I don't think you could really call it mid-season. It's going to be a little bit like um, what they do in Poland after I looked at where Pavel Chibitsky was and he said a, uh, a team who were in the the top six in uh, the Polish extra classer, and then that that division splits into top six and bottom six to decide what happens with the the competitions. And so I feel like we've kind of done something like that with all these leagues, where there was the the league, and then there's been this big gap, and then we're just going to have this nine game kind of weighted race to the end of the season that will be almost like its own little competition. So if you bring in these 
these extra rules, like you can use five substitutes or Leeds United always win. I'm happy with with bringing those in for for the next few games. What I would not be happy with, and what I, again with the the cynical part of me wonders, is whether the clubs will then go, oh well, five subs seem to work pretty well, and I mean we've got these big squads, and we don't want to have to let those all those players go. So how about maybe if we got some more money, but we had this five sub rule to keep all these players, that'd be good, wouldn't it? And there's just these these ways of of roots and agents bringing this in on behalf of tired players will also be an argument from their point of view. Where it's like, well, you don't want to let him go because five subs next season could be pretty useful. You want to be bringing J. Roy Grot into those games as your uh, as your fifth man. Why not allow more players on the pitch? Give that a go. Every every game starts thirteen aside. Well, my uh, my most recent proposal was to leave the players alone. I think. One of the great difficulties about all this is is trying to get pampered millionaires into a situation where they're all going to be safe from the virus. The idea of them all like staying in one big like student campus in the Midlands and playing all the games at, at Villa Park. Uh, there are still people talking about we we have like a, a few neutral venues where all the games can be played to to lessen the the travelling around the country. It's very difficult, I think, to get footballers to agree to anything like. You know, they have to have a rotor for who's going to open a supermarket and all that stuff. Whereas football fans basically will put up with absolutely anything for their football club, whether it's high ticket prices, not being allowed to drink on trains, traveling all over the country, having games moved, games cancelled. Don't care. doesn't bother us. Don't complain. So leave all the players in their homes or in Ross McCormack's home if he's throwing a party and let the fans play out the season. Pick 11 fans, give them at Leeds, Bielsa can pick them, train them, so we'll immediately have an advantage and just let the the fans play out the rest of the season. I would actually, we talked about missing football. I do miss Leeds Leeds United specifically and Bielsa's Leeds United. I don't think I would be missing them if this was Steve Evans's Leeds United. And you've got to look at the the whole world of football and recognise how much of it is Steve Evans and how little of it is Marcelo Bielsa. So the interests that I have in bog standard games coming on my television as a, some kind of cheer me up assault on the senses is go on say what say Watford and Burnley again you always pick on them <laughs> the idea of Watford and Burnley coming on the telly to cheer me up I think it would send me into even deeper despair but if it was Watford fans versus Burnley fans I'd watch that and imagine like Aston Villa I don't I hate Jack Grealish I don't want to watch him piss but It'd be strange if you did, to be honest. But if you told me that there was a squad of, say, 15 or 16 Aston Villa fans were going to play the rest of the season to try and keep their club in the Premier League, that'd be fantastic. I'd watch that. So leave all the footballers where they are. I don't care about it. Get some fans, finish the season. An interesting update from the French side of things is that they are looking in France at maybe the halfway point of the season to work out the metrics from that. If they were to apply that to the championship, it'd be West Brom top and us second and well clear of the of the chasing pack. So we'd be all right under that sort of metric. But again, what an absolute total and utter minefield that would be. But uh, we, we see how precarious the, the whole thing is with what's happened at Colchester, who've um, announced they're releasing four players because they just can't afford to retain them. Because we are effectively at the season's end now, aren't we? In another week or so, it's done and dusted. Yeah, and Luton have let their manager go, basically for the the same reason. And uh, it's the lower end still where the, the problems are. We can be quite blasé about what happens to the the Premier League. Or although I think I think the top end may be in for more of a 
a shock than it's um, than it's used to. Because one of the things you can say about non-league and lower league football is you've got teams like AFC Wimbledon who had to restart from nothing and and build their way back up, who are not at all unusual. You talk of you know Sunday leagues and going all the way down the pyramid. You have teams folding, merging, reforming, and starting again all over the place. And it's never good, but there's a there's an essence where non-league's used to it. If you were to go to Liverpool and say, right, the only way forward is Liverpool and Everton, economically, the only sensible solution is to merge. The drama and the the gnashing and of teeth and hair pulling and carry on that would cause would be unprecedented. I think it would probably people would think it was worse than the virus in the first place. But if you said that's too teams lower down the vision it's like actually the only way forward is you're, you're going to have to merge and, and start again that way I think there's a little bit more of a um, preparedness to take on ideas like that and you've got to say with Colchester it's not good that they're having to let players go but it's probably more reassuring that they're living in a, a practical world where they are making those decisions as opposed to you know Spurs who are like should we see what we can get out of this government scheme my worry on this is that it's going to be used by Premier League teams as in the same way as absolutely everything is, which is to make their position stronger And because they don't give the tiniest shit about Colchester. If you ask every Premier League chairman if he's at all worried about Colchester's meeting their wages, he will not be bothered. He'll be more interested about how, much, how many hundreds of millions the manager's got to spend in summer. So the concern is that it will just be, they'll just say, oh, brilliant. In that case, we've got an order. We can maybe pick up some decent players from their academy that they're going to have to kick out. I just worry that... It, the way things tend to go is that people who go into these situations already very rich come out of them richer still, not just in football, but across everything. So my concern is that that will happen. And at Leeds, where some, where I suppose we're in the top half of rich clubs, but certainly not in a position where we can be feel comfortable about it. Well, Victor Otters had his say on this and it looks different. I think that's probably the right way to describe it. He seems very ready for whatever's going to happen almost... Um eager for it when he's saying uh, uh, we're going to get to know a different kind of football, not only at the football level, but globally. We still have to start loving and admiring that world. What we have lived before in football is going to be different, not better or worse, different. And what you have to do now is fall in love with the new football, with the new society of a new world. I don't know if he's joined a cult or if his beard and his hair have grown even longer, if he's maybe... uh, hold up in a compound somewhere giving this interview, but um, he certainly sounds ready for change. And uh, and he said in this interview that we've already been the moving towards budgets where the wage ratios of turnover are between 65 to 80% because what coronavirus has shown is that any sort of incident like this completely breaks football's business model. It affects salaries of players and prices of transfers and the the business model, um, he's, he says, we need to find another one, another business model, so that if football stops for two months, there is not a catharsis of this style. And I think catharsis of this style is one of those translations from this is a Spanish language interview where it basically means football needs to be able to stop for two months and not completely fall to pieces, as I think the uh, the panic around uh, a lot of clubs and league administrations is being quite well hidden. So Victor could turn out to be a decent person to have on our side in all this if he's seeing it early enough that um, basically the, the business model as was has been shown that it cannot survive 
even a couple of months off. It's not a good business model and we need a new one. You do think back to him in, in the away end at Leeds with his Against Modern Football hoodie on and think, he's ready for this. He probably wants this. And he, he, does, he strikes me as a man who, maybe unlike some of the people who are at, at Premier League clubs, is doing it. Yeah, I, can, I genuinely think he loves football, I suppose, is, what, is the short version of what I'm saying. Like, in a way that maybe not everybody in the game does. And I think he probably thinks, well, football will still be there one way or another after this. And whatever it is, I'll still be involved in it some way. And that's fine. Which is kind of, I think, where most of us are. Where the panic is, is people who have bills to pay on it at the moment. Which, thankfully, isn't us. There's a 20% key worker discount with our podcast partner, Levi Solicitors, with 10% off for everybody who goes through the square ball. Uh, Levi's really keen to say thanks to the folks who have been keeping things going for us um, during the coronavirus lockdown and the whole crisis. So if you've got legal matters at hand, then get in touch with Levi's and take advantage of the discounts on offer. They do loads of areas of law. On the personal side, there's dispute resolution, conveyancing, wills. On the business side, employment, debt recovery and licensing. Have a look at the website for all the details. 10% square ball discount, or that increases to 20% if you're a key worker. LeviSolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Following on then from a discussion we had last week, following the passing of Norman Hunter about how do we commemorate Norman Hunter, it was announced a couple of days after that, that the South Stand has been named in his honour. And we had a, a good, really good discussion on this show and on the Phil Hayes show as well, quite wide ranging about do we name stands after these players? Uh, we've got a lot of players to honour. What's the right way to do it? Well, we've seen a definitive decision has been taken very, very quickly. And I think we should say, first of all, I think it's a really nice idea. And I love the idea of being in the Norman Hunter stand. It was one of those things that we, before it happened, we were kind of saying, oh, you know, well, if you if you name a stand after him, then what do you do for Eddie Gray and Jack Charlton? But it was one of those when it happened, you sort of went, actually, yeah, it's quite nice, really. It's probably the right thing to do. And, and I think as well, it was one of those, I think given the timing of this, there's nothing else the club can do at the moment. So this feels like a, a tangible thing that, that everyone can, I suppose, appreciate and, and honour him with. The nice touch with it is that it's um, it's a continuation of, of kind of what Norman Hunter was while he was alive, which is somebody that generations of Leeds fans kept getting to know. Um, even if you didn't see him play, you knew him as a coach. If you didn't know him as a coach, you knew him as a radio pundit. If you didn't know him as a radio pundit, you knew him as somebody who was just at, at every single game. And so the fact that everybody who goes into the South Stand from now on will go into the Norman Hunter South Stand and, and have his name on their tickets, have his name on their lips, is the kind of thing that will keep uh, his uh, will keep him alive, essentially, which is, um, which is a really good outcome from this. Obviously, I was the main one last week who was saying I thought that the uh, the Reavy stand is a, a good covering for for all the people that we have to commemorate from that team and that the the freedom of the city as well is a, an honour that's sometimes a little bit overlooked but you know there's only Leeds United players and Nelson Mandela are pretty much the it's a very high bar to to get that but it was never a case of me thinking it was something that should not be done it was always just like not not the the choice I would personally have made but if that's the decision that's going to be made, absolutely all for it. And um, the quote from his wife, Sue, saying that the family are, are touched by it, that matters more than what I think. So, Michael, you caught up with somebody who had first-hand experience of Norman Hunter this week. You spoke to Dave Cocker, son of Les, who was um, Don Reavy's right-hand man. Yeah, I caught up with him uh, on the phone just to have a bit of a chat with him about Norman, because um, as well as obviously knowing him as a footballer, he was also a neighbour of his. 
mixed up at one year. I think, well, 1960, so normal would have been about 16 or 17. And um, we'd, we'd moved up. My dad had got transferred from Luton Town up to Leeds United in 1960. And we went into a Leeds United clubhouse. Then Leeds United owned houses. And they used to, when they signed people, they put them into the houses. And it was a bit, it was in the contract. I think they got rent on for about a pound a week. And Norman moved next door but one at the same time with his mother, Betty. So I've known Norman really since he's been, you know, like 16, 17 years of age. There's mates that lived on the curtails. And they'll still talk about when they used to knock on the door and ask Norman if they were coming out to play. And it, they'd be out playing football in the spring. They'd have come back from golf and say, you know what, you know what are you doing? You know what I mean? Get back in. And they'd have to kick around in the street with the kids. And it went on for years. Because when Norman got married and moved out, I mean, Teddy Hurst moved in about 60, would have been about, what, 66, 65, 66. I mean, my memory, I'm getting old, but I can even remember Norman buying his first car. And I even know the registration number of it. It was a salmon pink, horrible colour, Vauxhall Viva. And the registration number was ALE, ALE 999B. So B registration is what? Is it 62, 63, I think? <laughs> it's just ridiculous, really, isn't it? One thing that seems to have come through in all the tributes is that for all he had such a fierce reputation on the pitch, off it, he was a really kind and humble bloke. Yeah, he was. He was just a lovely lad. If you talk to the neighbours, I mean, my mother died last summer and we've still got the house. We've not sold it yet. And um, I'm still going down because the, my mother's friend who lives opposite, Ida, who is, she's 90 now. And I went down to pay the money because she's paying the gardener while the house is empty. And I'm giving her the money. And she said, oh, Dave, you know, she got about Norman. And, and she talked about, they used to have, um, she's got a, a son about the same age as me. And they used to have the, a bonfire night in the back garden with this bonfire. And, you know, Norman being only 17, I mean, Norman be in there throwing bangers in the back garden. You know, I mean, it's a different world, isn't it, really? As a player then, can you remember your dad's kind of early opinions on Norman? Well, Norman, I mean, you know, we're in a situation where, where all these kids were coming through at the same time. You know, I mean, there were, there were the Pete Lorimer, Teddy Cooper, Norman Sprakey, Paul Reaney, and they all went in the team. I think Peter went in at 15, didn't he? Sprakey got flown down to, to Cardiff, I think it was, in a, in a little Cessna because Tommy Younger got got injured or, or he fell ill during the night. And I think Sprakey was only about 16, I think, when he made his debut. And... They were still, they were still boys. You know, they they didn't have men's bodies, and it was just this constant work, really, to get them, you know, to get them bulked up and fit, and also to to not have them bullied. You know what I mean on the pitch. I mean, I know Norman always used to tell this tale about my dad when he he he, he wanted Norman to get angry, and he finally just said, right, and he just went into my dad and clattered Norman on full of park, and Norman just got up and and I said, what are you going to do about it? He didn't know what to do. Anyway, he went in again, and then Norman went after him, tried to kick him, and he just said, that's better, Norman. I mean, there's just one thing that I'd want to say as well, in the fact that Don and my dad, you know, were tactically and fitness-wise, yeah, but really with ball skills. I mean, Bobby Collins made John Giles, Billy, Norman, because Bobby was just, he, he was just something else to watch. And his striking of the ball was just absolutely incredible. Bobby used to take all the free kicks, and the chant when he got it, you know, it, it was it, Alan Rudd was banana, banana, banana. Cause he could, he was the first guy that could ever bend a football. Absolutely incredible skills, and you know, we owed so much to Bobby Collins really for bringing those kids on, all of us, you know, with with, with skills. It's all right telling somebody to do something, but you know, Bobby could show them as well. On the skill side of it, do you think that the reputation he had as a hard man has gone somewhere to obscuring what a good footballer he actually was? 
Yeah, which is sad because people are looking at him now as bite your legs, Norman. And he was a he was a superb footballer. Everybody used to take the nick out of him because Norman, you know, his right leg was just standing on, really. You know, if there's any, ever the epitome of a one-footed footballer was Norman. But it always shows up more because the fact he was he's left-footed and people tend to notice it more. One of the difficulties we've talked about, given all the names you uh, you mentioned earlier, how we go about honouring all of them, because obviously soon enough we're going to run out of stands to name after them. I mean, how do you think we should go about remembering that team? Well, I don't know. I mean, th- there's that many of them, isn't there? And every one of them was a legend. So, you know, what do you do? I mean, if you look at Big Jack, I mean, Jack's never really had any recognition there. And Jack was a World Cup winner as well. And Jack played over 700 games, I think, as well, didn't he? Every one of them were, you know, the, the internationals, weren't they? And difficult. The other thing as well, you know, when we went, when we hadn't done left in 74, after we won the, the title, I hadn't done always felt really that they'd let a lot of the players go too early. Everyone would say, no, well, that team have got too old. If you look, they weren't. They were 29, 30 years of age. And because of the training regime and the diet, you know, I mean, the, the dietitians were in there then. You know, it was totally different to any other football club. And they all went on to other clubs. I mean, Terry Cooper went to Middlesbrough under Jack. Norman went down to Bristol. And Norman always said, you know, he went down to Bristol and he was paid far more there than what he was getting paid at Ellen Road. And when you look at the players, you know, that went, even Billy, you know, Billy went to Hull, didn't he, and, and played. And it probably was, break, you know, broken up a little, you know, just a little too quickly because people say, oh, yeah, they played for, I don't know, probably 10 years. But you've got to remember, they, they were kids when they made the debut. They were 15, 16, 17 years of age. And they would have fit. And I think at Bristol City, Norman went as well. And they, um, he always enjoyed it because they played him in midfield. I never knew he played in midfield. Yeah, but if you've got a footballing brain, I mean, look at Gilesy, you know, I mean, you could, Christ, Johnny Giles at 50 years old, you could have stood him in the centre circle and not moved out the centre circle and it is still controlled again. I'm just gutted with it. But like when everyone died, you know, Bobby Collins, Paul Madeley, and, you know, we're all at that age now where it's going to continue to happen, isn't it, really? Yeah, and they are, they are all like family. I mean, when you see them together, you know, uh, the Freedom of City event, which was what, was it early December, 4th of December, I think. I mean, when you see them all together, everybody's hugging and incredible, really. Ben White, then. Please, can we keep him? I'd really like to keep Ben White. This one has uh, reared its head again this week. I think uh, partly fueled by our discussions on the Phil Hay Show, actually, where Phil was saying that the more he hears, the more uh, Leeds United are resigned to Ben White not having another season with us after this one. He's He's got his pick of the clubs by the sounds of it. I mean... He's been linked with Liverpool and Man City and Scum, but he won't play for him, will he? That's the bad thing. The last thing we need is for him to go there and not play. And the last thing he wants is to go back to Brighton and play, because, I mean, they've fucked him off. They've sent him out on loan and signed someone from bloody Bristol City to play instead of him. They've not shown him the love at that time, and they don't deserve him now, so we should be allowed to keep him. I honestly don't think we should underestimate the importance of that, of the fact that he's guaranteed to get game time, what his progress has been at Leeds since he's been here and working under Bielsa. I think that counts for a lot more than perhaps we realise. So as long as Leeds, assuming we go up, can meet the transfer fee, then I think we've got a fairly good chance. But you never know when it comes to these things. You never know if his head's going to get turned, do you, by the thought of uh, prancing around with Kevin De Bruyne every week in training? We probably won't pay him £150,000 a week either. I don't think... Liverpool or Man City would either. I'm not sure how often you get a a 22-year-old who makes that kind of move. It feels like, well, actually his his career path normally would be kind of Leeds, then to Brighton, a few seasons in the Premier League, then Man City or Liverpool come in and spend ridiculous amounts of money on him. I think it's um, 
Man City's path with John Stones, where they, they didn't just take him straight out of the Barnsley Academy, but let Everton suffer his catastrophic defensive errors for a while before deciding to, deciding to spend all the money on him. So the, there's that, that mid-section needs to happen for, for Ben White, I think, before those Liverpools and Manchester Cities will at, actually go straight for him. The, the worry there is that if you're talking about a, a mid-table Premier League club taking punts on a young championship prospects that's basically scum with Dan James isn't it so that could be where he ends up but I don't know I don't think uh, Victor and Cole need to be too defeatist about this as he as he said it's going to be a, a whole new world of football everything will be different and maybe there'll be some kind of um, ruling where because of the the coronavirus he can't cross a county border and he has to stay in Yorkshire that might be a potential solution and the other side of this is as well he's a young man who has moved around a lot and he's finally settled in Leeds and he's great mates with Calvin. And you, I know you kind of think that's that's not going to override anything, but it must play into his into his thoughts and his considerations when does he want another year of upping sticks and going somewhere else? And yet, like, like I said, you know, Premier League money and, and the bright lights will probably trump everything, but that's not to say that it's everything. There's probably also like the prospects of getting into the knockout stages of the Champions League might be a, a bit of a pull on a sportsman. But I'd rather live next door to Calvin Phillips than any of that nonsense. We've also heard from Matthias Klich this week. Some entertaining stuff in there, as always, with Clicky. Um, he's always good value, isn't he? Plenty in there. I think my favourite bit was when he was talking about his favourite food, because we've heard about the way Bielsa makes them calorie count and weigh in every every couple of hours just to make sure they've not not indulged and you could see he was like longing for a cheeseburger as he talked about five guys being his favorite take when he was like bacon cheeseburger and fries and, and a strawberry milkshake but it's already a lot of calories he was like some some anxious model right just had to about to go on a catwalk like no i must i really i really can't have the strawberry milkshake it's it, they'll know they'll know and i'll be i'll look fat and disgusting and I, I just can't have it just on five guys michael can i get your opinion on that because you're a man who's shall we say thrifty what, what's your opinion on a 15 pound burger chips and drink It'll not surprise you very much to know I've never had one. I have been told they're very good, but I mean, I can't justify that sort of money, can I? Let's be honest. Moscow, any highlights in there that you'd uh, you'd like to share with us? I enjoyed his shirt and the story of his Leeds Strongbow shirt that he was photographed wearing last week. That he, um, It's even better to know that he bought it off eBay. I mean, this is one of the things we talk about. How is Ben White going to turn down a move to Liverpool? Well, then you've got other footballers who are scouring eBay just to get an old shirt from the team they're playing for. Yeah, I don't know if that just means matches click is a is a class apart or special in some way, but it really warms my cockles to uh, to imagine him. Unless you know you were the poor sod who was uh, bidding against him and and lost because he's got thousands of pounds. He's got, in his bank he's got the five guys' money, hasn't he? <laughs> he's got the five guys' money there. I mean, if he'd have wanted a Leeds Champions League shirt, he could have probably just asked. I'm sure someone would have sent him one. But he's gone out there, spent his own cash, which is good of him. He seems to have a real sort of deep love for Ellen Road and Leeds as a club, um, which I guess suits a lot of these um, these players in this squad. You think of Luke Ayling, who's never quite made his mark anywhere and has suddenly come into his own. Stuart Dallas, you know, they're all putting down this marker of how good they are and how good they've been this season. And they seem to have really bought into the atmosphere and, and the club as a whole. I think one thing that came through in the, the click bit as well is how he's not, He's not a conventional footballer and wasn't a conventional child footballer either. Like he talks about, he used to walk around with baggy jeans and a baggy hoodie with a marker pen on him because he used to doing graffiti and stuff. It's just not the image you get of of a, foot, of a young footballer, I don't think. He, he sounds like a, a moody, 
kind of emo kid. Although actually it was Polish rap is what he's into. But I quite like it when you get players who are a bit unusual with stuff, which I think came through as well in his favourite film, which was a toss-up between Lord of the Rings or Ali G, which is not exactly much crossover in style there, but I think he, I don't think he necessarily picked one in the end. He just said both of them. One of his older interviews in Poland, it's towards the end of the season, actually, so it's not that long ago, but he mentioned playing sensible soccer when he was growing up and um, that immediately makes him... 100% right human in my eyes. I liked as well the which four, four famous people would you have for a meal? And straight away, Denzel Washington was his first pick. And then he really struggled with the other three. But it's like he's, he's obviously got a great love for Denzel Washington for some reason, which I wouldn't have seen coming, but there you go. A body like Arnold with a Denzel face, eh? Uh, I did like the um, Lord of the Rings reference as well, because it did immediately make me draw a parallel with this season and the long, drawn-out, fraught journey that's ultimately towards Mount Doom, or the Premier League as we call it. It just seemed very apt. Got to be honest, I've not seen Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's just goblins and shit. <laughs> nah, fair enough, yeah. That's that's why I've not watched it. It looks old. Same with, same with uh, that other one. You know, the other goblin one that everyone's into, dragons and stuff. Not seeing that. I saw the third Lord of the Rings film in Germany, dubbed in German, without having seen the first two. They had an interval in the middle of it, and everybody stood up and said, ah, it's the Pauser, Pauser. It's the Pauser. It's called the Pauser. And somebody asked me in the Pauser if like, oh, you've not seen the first two. Like, well, can you understand what's going on? I said, well, yeah, it's just, it's the good guys against the bad guys, isn't it? And they looked at me as if I'd said some kind of disgusting, ill-informed, ignorant thing and completely trashed their favourite film. But yeah, it's just, you know, once you've worked that out, you're all right, aren't you? You don't speak German, do you? No. It had subtitles. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I was just trying to picture you choosing to watch an incredibly long film in German. I can't remember which way around it was. It might have been in English with German subtitles. But I just remember, you know, I mean, this is not a spoiler alert, but you know, the end of the film when one of the little lads is in bed sick and then all the other little lads come and jump on his bed. And then, Are they a great bunch of lads? And then what's his face with the, the stick comes and smiles at all these little lads in bed together. Um, the The gradual kind of seeping of mirth as everybody realised the kind of hilarious eroticism on the screen that was probably not intended is probably the main thing that's stuck with me from that film. Like, oh, no, here comes another one, jumping in. Michael, were you referring to Game of Thrones there before? Ah, that's the one. Yes, not seeing that either. Everyone keeps telling me I should. Look, I might do one day. I'm not sure yet. Prefer I'll watch stuff without goblins and dragons in first. Obviously, with reference to uh, the person who does our announcements on the podcast, you've watched every episode with Ralph Ineson in, I'm sure. Uh, I've watched The Office. I think that's enough. <laughs> and I enjoy the uh, adverts for everything. He does lots. On that subject, this is it's not really related, but you've reminded me. The person who read the audio book version of my book is now doing the he's now the DJ or doing the announcements in co-op on co-op radio advertising like you can now get a two for one lasagna from the frozen aisle and it's it's the bloke who reads my book out it's very very distracting Mr Screwfix Mr Screwfix yes he also does uh, he's the the voice of Screwfix in one of his other roles on to Don Matteo then and congratulations to him for being able to come out of hospital and it looks like he's beaten this brain tumor that he's had which is great news I don't think before now we'd had the full background of this, had we? But I mean, I know it's it goes without saying that a brain tumour is bloody awful, but bloody hell, it sounds bloody awful. <laughs> that basically he was working one day, he had a headache, and then a few days later he was in hospital with it and 
very nearly dead. Not exactly a miracle, because that does a discredit to the people who've done a lot of incredibly good work on him, but amazing to have come through it. A lot of very good stapling. Yeah, it, looks, it looked like it smarted a bit, the old, the old tennis ball look on the head, didn't it? And good to see so many of our club figures who have been involved with the club in the past that were, were straight on to Don Matteo. It's a nice symbol of, of what Leeds represents as a club and the fact that it never really leaves. You'll be seeing like O'Leary was with the first to visit him in hospital. Eddie Gray's been Lucas as well. There was a reference to Eddie Gray who he jumped on a bus to go and see him, which is absolutely lovely. I don't know why. I, I, I would get buses more if I thought Eddie Gray might be on He them. does. He gets buses. He, I think he lives near Harrogate. He gets the, the bus that goes from Harrogate to Leeds like as a, as a matter of course. The number 36? I think so. So I've heard. Yeah, it's the black and red one, isn't it? It's a fancy bus, is that one? Yeah, good. No, good on him. I guess, I mean, without wishing to joke about it, he's probably got his bus pass now, hasn't he? A man after Michael's heart. I think Eddie Gray should be able to just hail any car in Leeds and get a free lift. It should be a, it should be upon the citizens of Leeds. If you see him, you just have to pull in and be like, "Want a lift anywhere?" It's like, "I, I, I, I when you going anywhere?" It's like, "Well, I see you're stood at the door, at the side of the road, so you must take priority." My kids can go to school later on. On free stuff, I thought it was good that. Leeds United have been letting Don Matteo use a executive box in the East Stand to have meetings with his life coach because apparently the the experience of coming to Elland Road has been part of the the mental recovery that's been necessary with this as well as the the physical one. I, I can only imagine trying to have that conversation with Ken Bates of you know oh we we're going to let Don Matteo use a use a box in the East Stand for free free. He's been ill. Surely we can claim it back from the NHS, surely. They've got lots of money. Yeah, it is nice that the club are just doing things like this now. It feels like this sort of stuff can happen now because people just immediately go, yeah, that'd be the right thing to do, wouldn't it? Yeah, okay, cool. We'll just do that then, shall we? And there doesn't need to be any drama. It's fairly simple. They've got loads of empty boxes up there that aren't doing anything on a Tuesday morning. Let Don Matteo use one. Easy. They should let us use one. Just pop in for a bit. Just say hi to Angus and everyone. We go in, do some recording. Let's ask him. I suspect we may not get a get the, quite such a positive answer, but it's good that uh, that they let Don do this. And it's good to have some good news, isn't it? Let's be honest. At the moment, it was a nice slither of positive news amongst all the gloom. Don Matteo ringing a bell to say that tumor is gone. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is brought to you with The Athletic and each Friday we bring you The Phil Hay Show. During lockdown, we are giving you the chance to pick one of the topics on the show. Keep an eye on Phil's Twitter feed for the weekly poll where you get to pick that. And if you're a subscriber, you can listen to that show and all the podcasts on The Athletic ad-free via the app. And The Athletic is where all Phil's articles live and it's home to 400 of the best sports writers out there. They're still grafting and telling those fantastic stories. The Athletic has no ads, no pop-ups and no clickbait. There is a free trial with 50% off a subscription by heading to theathletic.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Heroes and villains for you now then. Who's made a smile and who has disappointed us a wee bit in this last seven days? We'll do heroes in a bit. First is the Ken Bates Villainy Awards. Ken Bates gets a nomination, but it's all quiet on all Ken fronts at the minute. Very quiet. He's getting a nomination this week for not only blocking us from his Facebook page, but ignoring other avenues of communication as well. We'll leave it at that. You are talking about Wyoming, Casper Wyoming's Ken, Councilman Ken there, just for anybody who's new to the podcast. Well, to Councilman Ken Bates, yes. He is um, not speaking to me, which is a bit of a shame. So uh, I'll keep trying. Did you try speaking to him? Uh, A couple of times, yep. Not got through, not got through to him. Um, But it's not going to put me off. I think you've got to keep going with these things, haven't you? I'll just keep trying to ring him every single night and one day maybe I'll answer. Right, other villains, who else? I'd like to nominate Steve Evans for, I think he was on this, Was it, what was he on, nominated for last week, Moscow? I can't remember. Implying that he was in some way responsible for the careers of Bailey Peacock Farrell and or uh, Ronaldo Vieira <laughs> when he played them for a combined 15 minutes at Leeds United. Yes, the one minute he gave Ronaldo Vieira. Um, I believe in youth. Oh, I'll, I always trust a young kid. For one minute of a meaningless game. At the very last minute of the season. I brought him on with the tears in my eyes because I could hear the Leeds fans like singing my name. I thought, they want to see the boy. So this week he's um, nominated because he's jilling a manager at the moment in case you weren't, I'm sure, given the love Leeds fans have for him and the love he has for Leeds, which he's always keen to talk about. It's a mutual thing. He has jilling him in 11th at the moment, eight points off the playoffs and never one for self-interest. Steve Evans thinks at the end of the day, if you can't play the games, forget points average, forget everything. This is unprecedented and the season should be expunged and people start again. Start again as we started last summer. It would hurt the teams I love enormously. Teams like Leeds United. Stop mentioning this, Steve. We're trying our very best to get you out of our history and pretend it never happened. So if you could just stop talking. Talk about Boston. We don't talk about Boston. Talk about Peterborough. Did he go there for a bit? Talk about talk about someone who doesn't care. Please just stop mentioning us. I'm just having a look on um, Google Maps at the moment to see if I can find the nearest McDonald's to Gillingham's ground i suppose it's all irrelevant because it's closed at the moment but i'm just interested mm. there's a there's a burger king about equidistant from the ground as the hospital so that's probably he's got both bases covered there and yeah there's actually gillingham's football stadium is smack bang in the middle as the crow flies between a burger king 
and a McDonald's. So everywhere he looks, bliss, but not while they're closed. He's a real Weatherspoon's breakfast of a manager, isn't he, Steve Evans? Gillingham seems to fit in perfectly for some reason. Which is the uh, which is the chain that has a, a buffet though? Because the Weatherspoons, you're limited, aren't you? Is it one of the, is it a like hungry horse or someone does like a, an all you can eat breakfast? A harvester, maybe. He'll be in there. He'll know where the best value is. He'll have scouted it. Well, out. I'll tell you what. If he goes to the cricketers, so it's um, the Burger King to the west, McDonald's to the east, and then due south, nearer than both, is the cricketers which I think is a Weatherspoons. He's got it made down there, I think. As long as he stays away from Leeds, stops talking about us, I think we'll be okay. So he's full of shit. Who else do you want to nominate? Um, Alex Neal. This is a little bit of an odd one because Alex Neal has always seemed to be all right. And he's also been quite good against Leeds. His Preston teams have sort of been okay, but then easily exposed and been defeated, which is how I like my opposition championship managers. But he's come up with this mad idea that because Leeds United's first team players took wage deferrals in order for the non-playing staff to be paid, we shouldn't be allowed to sign any other players. Because as he says, if they can't currently pay the players they've got, then why should they be allowed to use the money they've deferred from wages to invest in their squad to bring better or more players in? Which, I mean, on the one hand, I think that's just mean. And then on the other hand, I don't think he quite understands what this deferred wages thing is. Because if we did go back to the squad, if Victor Orta says to them one day, oh yeah, about that deferral, we were going to pay you your money back, but we've bought you a new friend to play with instead. Is that all right? Oh, we'll just, we'll just write it off. That's not how it's going to work. We will still have the same transfer budget that we were going to have before. In fact, a smaller one because we're we're paying some, I think it's like 1% interest on, on the uh, um, the deferred wages to give the players a, a thank you for, for deferring them. So he just needs to shut his silly trap. Seems fair. Anybody else we want to throw some shade at? Credit to Baron Cross from Leeds Live for this one, but we are Brighton.com. We mentioned earlier how they're starting to get a little bit annoyed by people talking about about Ben White, and he just un- uncovered many, many examples of them being very cross about people suggesting that it would not be down to Brighton where he plays next year. But that basically comes down to the fact that no one gives a fuck about Brighton. And he's now at Leeds, who are a bigger club, and being linked with several other big clubs as well. So, sorry, Brighton, but no one cares. I was quite confused by Brighton this week because I didn't see the context of who might have been near Graham Potter when he was answering these questions. But he was asked about whether Ben White was going to be part of uh, Brighton's plans. And he, he answered the whole thing as if he was the Queen. He said, we, we are aware of how well he has done and we are aware of his qualities uh, we would have signed him if we were still at our previous club. So we are aware of the journey he's been on. When did he start using the royal way? Who is this we that is? He's had a wonderful time at Leeds. And at the same time, we are aware of where his future may be. He's still got a job to complete that loan spell. And then we see from there. Who's we? It's Graham and who? Is he wearing a crown? And is he pretending there that if he's stuck at Swansea, he would have got him on loan? I just, I did not understand that because I didn't know who this we was. Who has he brought from Swansea with him? Does he just think he can sign players regardless of which club he's at because they belong to him because he is the king? And in, in doing so, he's basically saying that I would have, I think he's good enough for the championship, but not good enough for the Premier League, which is being shown to be a poor judgment. So I don't know why he seems to be highlighting that. If I, if I was him, I'd have tried to blame it on the director of football or something, saying, oh, I haven't been here long. Someone said he was shit. So I said, I said yeah, get just offload him to Leeds for a bit. He's just actually showed himself up there. So yeah, I watched him and 
having done that, I decided he wasn't good enough for Brighton. Don't go back to Brighton, Ben. Don't do it. But go there instead of scum. Also, um, Graham Potter, not as good as Harry Potter. Not seen that either. But one's a boy wizard. One's just a bitter bastard. Which which one's which? I've not seen it either, so I'm confused. <laughs> Graham Potter, boy wizard. Well, it doesn't sound like there's any limits to our talents with old uh, Royal Graham. And is that all for our uh, potential villains, or have we got any more runners and riders? Uh, UEFA. They're going to call the European Championships Euro 2020, even though they'll be held in 2021. And I'm sure there's good reasons for it. It's annoying. It's cheaper than having all the rebranding done. That's what it is. When have you wafer? Are you wafer now suddenly worried about spending money on bullshit? The stuff I read said that they were doing it for environmental reasons because a lot of the stuff had already been printed, etc. Well, I tell you what, don't have the European Championships spread out over an entire continent in as many different countries and cities as possible with all the travelling required between them. That was probably going to be a better help to the environment than not binning some fucking leaflets. You'll be suggesting next that they don't fly managers around the place for draws and stuff like that as well and bring in about 200 people to have on stage during the Champions League draw and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's an option. It's an option, isn't it? If they are suddenly on this environmental kit, oh no, we've had the pens made. <laughs> it's one of those, basically, someone, it's gone to someone now and they've, and they've just gone, oh, I've done it now, haven't I? All this, can we just call it the same thing? No one's going to mind, are they? He's going, nah, yeah, fuck it. It's like a Friday afternoon decision. Just be like, yeah, you know what? Don't bother. Don't bother. It is, it is too much effort and no one's going to care. It'll be quite nice though to have in the history books, I think, that someone won Euro 2020 in 2021. It's going to be so much like that though. I think the history books for this season and the next couple of years are going to have to be about six inches thick to try and get in all the caveats. A lot of footnotes. Lawrence Dubok, he, he was terrible, but he was not relegated in, in, uh, from the, the Dutch league. Are those all you villains then? Who, who's going to win it? Did Steve Evans get it last week? I feel like I should give him it this week instead. Or as well. For having the goal to speak about us again. Yeah, stop talking about us. This break from football is just absolutely made for him, isn't it? Because everybody else is busy trying to keep the clubs together. He's just sat at home. And after breakfast, what else is he going to do apart from start mithering? Sky, oh yeah, yeah, and interviewed me today. I got some opinions here to tell you that what I think should happen. He's like a, a real shit name dropper, like someone who once went for a drink with someone famous and now that's all he can talk about. You've been around loads of crap clubs, just accept that that's where you are, Steve. It was a mistake that you were ever at Leeds. Yeah, when he says uh, that the teams I love enormously, teams like Leeds United, he's waiting for something at least to say, yeah, we loved you too, Steve, but instead everyone's just like, will you fuck off? And when he catches wind of this, he will know that we have no love for him. He'll think we're not representative of the Leeds fans, is what he'll think. Please, let's not discuss Steve Evans and wind. It's not something I want to consider. Double villainy then, is that right? I can't remember if he won it last week or not, to be honest. But he can have it this week. Right, let's pick a hero then. The Andy Hughes Hero Award. Who's having it this week? Or, well, who's in, in the hat, first of all? I think Don Matteo's got to be in there for his recovery and for making Leeds fans smile at a time when there's not an awful lot of good stuff going on and we're all panicking about not being promoted. At least we can all agree Don Matteo being well is a very good thing. Although, as well as making us smile, he did also make us wince with the photos of that massive scar full of staples on the back of his head. So there's going to be a bit of ups and downs with uh, with this. It wasn't all smiles. So you get annoyed at him for complaining about having to have his head sliced open, are you? That's basically it. <laughs> no, no, so I'm just sharing my honest reactions that I was scrolling through that story and thinking, oh, this is this is very nice. And then I got to that photo, I was like, fucking hell. Uh, yeah, I pity his, uh, his poor head. But um, extra credit to Dominic Matteo for trusting a scum fan 
to do all that work on his actual brain. But uh, Dr. Ryan Matthew from the Leeds General Infirmary managed to distract himself from thoughts of, I don't know, Mal Donaghy and Neil Webb long enough to basically save Don Matteo's life. So that's pretty good. Is this, is this the second scum fan we've had nominated? Because I think Gary Neville got a nomination a few weeks ago, didn't he? Tarnishing the good name of this podcast with stuff like this. Uh, no, seriously, good work, Mr. Uh, Dr. Ryan Matthew. Who else are we going to be nominating then? I mean, we can stick the LGI in by extension, can't we, as as, a, as well as um, Ryan Matthew. I mean, they're very good there and they're quite busy at the moment, I believe, aren't they? So well done for doing good stuff. I did see when I was just looking at... Um, tweets about the French league shut down. Somebody replied to it saying, uh, oh, what's the rationale for this decision? And the reply to that was, uh, I think there's this virus going around. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was uh, was pretty good. I want to nominate Neil Redfern, who we knew he'd been briefly manager of Liverpool women. I think it was at the start of the season just ended. And he was only there for about five minutes and then left in quite mysterious circumstances. And the Athletic did a I think it was Sarah Shepherd did a, a feature on how Liverpool FC's claims to be we're two teams, but we're one club is a load of shit, and they basically treat the the women's team like well, for example, they've designed an entire new training ground, and there isn't a pitch for the women's team, so they have to stay at Tranmere. But Neil Redfern, when he accepted the job, he was told that they wanted to compete in the Super League with the likes of Arsenal and Chelsea, but a source close to him says it did not take long for him to realise that those were empty words. The players were living in a run-down housing, compared by some to really bad student digs. Some had problems with rats, and others with showers leaking through ceilings below. Michael, I believe you want to say something about the city of Liverpool at this point. <laughs> I think the, <laughs> it would be dangerous to do so. I believe the um, the city of Liverpool can sometimes suffer from a lack of sense of humour, despite what they would tell you. I, I just, I think it's a fine city, and I've enjoyed my trip. Just thought there. you might have an opinion on the the general housing situation in. Uh, in Surely those rats. I, be, I believe there's a so, an old song that suggests those rats could be a treat. Well, despite that, according to one source, the club were pushed into making changes by Neil Redfern, who applied real pressure. I slightly suspect that this um, this source might be his wife. <laughs> Just the feeling says he really pushed them and made this change. Uh, but yeah, apparently it is all down to Neil Redfern that the, the Liverpool uh, women players got moved into decent housing. Still in Liverpool, I assume, which is, you know, can't have been easy. But yeah, he, he sorted all that out before he decided he'd had enough. So he's fighting the good fight out there. Speaking of other people who are fighting the good fight, who's your next nomination? Oh, who's who's put this on the sheet again? <laughs> oh, guy, oh, you want to, one of you's going to have to say it. I can't say it, can I? Martin Highwood. Congratulations yet yeah. again for another weekend of outstanding. Who wrote the word at the top? The, the one that's in big? Well, that's just your name, and I don't know what, what it's there. But anyway, Martin Highwood. Oh, for, oh it'll, be for, it'll be for my charity work. Yeah, yeah, for my charity work. <laughs> Do you, want, do you want to explain exactly how this was your charity work? What the hell have you been uh, doing? Yeah, charity? Have you been doing charity work? You should have mentioned. I know. I know. Again, I know, it's, it's it's just non-stop, isn't it? That's the thing. I'm a very giving sort of guy. Uh, but in all seriousness, yeah, this was Martin Highwood who did this. He arranged for loads of people to climb up a load of stairs, which is the equivalent of uh, of climbing up Snowden. So Simon Grace and Ian Hart, Phil Hay, me, Bryn Law, Simon Ricks, a load of people did it, and over twenty-one thousand pounds has been raised, which is Bloody amazing. Listen to the way that you put yourself in the same bracket as all those genuinely famous and well-known people. It was just a clang fest. Well, you know what? If one of you two had done it, I could have mentioned your name there as well, but you couldn't be asked. 
I couldn't build any stairs in my flat. Well, other people did it. Other people went out and about, got to local parks and stuff, running up and down stairs there. Don't give me this shit that there's no stairs. I know you've got stairs. And you know as well that I did actually explore the possibility, but I couldn't find one. How long did it take you in the end? There was, it was not entirely clear whether or not the 4,610 steps were all ups or the ups and the downs. So I did it twice, which was possibly unnecessary. Uh, it took about three hours, all in all, with a bit of a break in the middle. So it wasn't too bad. It wasn't as bad as the 35-mile walk, which I did for charity a while ago. I don't know if it's or the 30-mile walk that I did for for charity as well. It's incredible that you just keep doing all these things on your own with uh, <laughs> with no help from anybody and nobody else getting getting involved. Yeah, I raised it all by myself, really, in, in many ways. Um, I guess a bit of credit should probably go as well to John Richardson and Russell Howard, who did a live Instagram gig Q&A thing, which raised an awful lot of that money, probably like more than half of it, in, in honesty. And they put, also put a load in themselves. So that's very, very good of them to, to help are you, out. Uh, are you matching their donation? That would be the nice thing to do, wouldn't it? <laughs> Um, I've got uh, it's, it's difficult times at the moment, you know. For well, surely, for a lot not, of for, not for somebody who's who's keeping this kind of uh, company. I mean, you, Ian Hart, Danny Mills, you're all. I mean, you and Danny don't have to spend any money on haircuts, so you've got the uh, you've got the cash to to match your celebrity mates. I didn't actually see any pictures of Danny Mills doing this. And I know when we did the live football manager thing, there was some confusion about whether or not I was Danny Mills. So potentially his name's been included there by accident. But no, I mean, I'm not going to be, uh, I'm not going to be matching the money of, of Russell Howard and John Richardson, I'm afraid. But I'm going to thank them, which is as good as, isn't it? Maybe not, no. If, um, Words better than money. Is that, that's what we're saying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, unless it, it's not me, and then you can go to justgiving.com slash fundraising slash leads ups and downs, and you can still donate to it. So it's for a very good cause. It's for Muscular Dystrophy UK. And we'll speak to you again in another six months about how brilliant you are when you uh, piggyback on somebody else's hard work. Nice work, Michael. Uh, who else do you want to nominate for hero ship? Tony Clark, who's uh, he's had a life-size brass statue of Bielsa made. He's waiting to have it shipped from the, the Far East, but there's photos of it. And um, he was going to auction it, but instead he's he's offered it to the club. And there's some fundraising going on around this as well. Just giving.com slash fundraising slash bid for Bielsa. And it's the number four in the middle of that. I think he's he's raising money for Mind because Tony Clark survived the, the bombings in Bali in 2002. And it's had a some quite difficult times with his mental health since then. So Mind have helped him. He wants to help Mind. One of my favourite details about this is that he's uh, he's apparently been sitting four or five rows behind the dugouts at Elland Road. And in the interviews um, I read about this in the Argentinian press, who I think that they must be using quotes from the UK, but he claims that he's been noting down like... Um, he's been taking visual measurements as he watches Bielsa from behind the, the dugouts and trying to get a, a sense of the proper scale and then going back to the, the sculptor and uh, saying, oh, no, you need to you need to adjust this. And uh, They made him too thin, didn't they, to begin with? Yes, which he said uh, Marcelo would probably have been quite happy about, but it, it wouldn't necessarily have been true. Taking visual measurements has kind of a Buffalo Bill making a skin suit kind of vibe to it, doesn't it? But thankfully it's... Uh Far less sinister than that. It's not a bad sculpture, actually. I think it's uh, it's obviously Bielsa, isn't it? It is very good, yes. There is a, probably a slight exaggeration on head size. I know he's got a big brain, 
but um, he's bordering on five head there instead of four head. Yeah, it just seems to be the the front. Maybe I mean it must be very difficult to do hair in bronze. It's quite funny the um, the headline on Olay in uh, in Argentina is um, a big headed Bielsa came out, which I don't know um, where exactly it's. Uh, it came out of, and the subhead is uh, a Leeds fan ordered a life-size statue of the fool, which is the, how Google translates um, El Loco, to be made in Asia, although he had a much wider forehead than the fool of Rosario. Maybe this is why I think it looks fine. I am a man with quite a big head. The uh, the hats that come out of the cracker never fit me, so I think this looks like a perfectly proportioned head and very nice. Well, that's it. I think it's... Um, it's more based on, you see the photos of Bielsa when he's just had his hair cut and he does go for quite a, a close crop. And I think that does um, exaggerate his head in life. Um, so I don't think it's it's that different. I mean, it's better than that Ronaldo one, isn't it? I was just thinking exactly the same thing. I mean, that looked like um, Ronaldo had been melted. This just looks like Bielsa with a slightly bigger brain, which is fine. We know he's a genius. And yeah, and it's in a good cause. So it's um, in aid of mind. Who is having the Hero Award then, gentlemen? Well, until Michael ponies up with a life-size statue of mine in Highwood, I don't think it's going to be him. I'm going to have one made of me and I'm going to put it right outside your flat so you can look at it. Who are you going for? Just give it to Dom. Yeah. I mean, his, his surgeon has, has done a lot of the hard work there, but given his choice of football club, we can't really go for him, can we? I mean, good work, Dr. Matthew, but close but no cigar. So Dom Matteo, yeah, he's he's got to be, hasn't he, really? I mean... Really, Dr. Ryan Matthew, for trying to take credit for this, should be a villain. But it's too late now. I'm sure Dom would want to share it with the uh, the staff at the LGI, who've probably got quite a lot on at the moment, as we mentioned before. So we can share it among them as well, just as long as it doesn't stay in this Dr. Ryan. I'm sure his middle name is probably Giggs Matthew, um, as long as it's not in his office for too long. He can look at it from down a corridor. And Don brought us a great memory or two from uh, from the Champions League. I mean, the the AC Milan away goal is always going to live in, in folklore, and I've I've enjoyed that as part of my. Um, I've been coming up with a quiz, you know, for our um, our quiz game on the extra ball. I've been doing research. It's down to Don Matteo. It's not Don Matteo, uh, but I've oh. been doing a bit of research, and I came across the Don Matteo goal just yesterday, and it made me smile. So thank you for that moment, Don Matteo. And we've got the extra ball out this week as we continue our trip through two thousand and nine ten. Uh, closing in on Christmas and our first FA Cup tie. Championship Manager 0102 podcast is on there too. We finished our final season. Did we manage... Uh, we finished our first season, sorry. Did we manage to right the wrongs of the Ridsdale era? That was the big question. Well, tune in to find out. Spoiler alert, we did come away with at least a trophy. But that's all we'll say from uh, from here. Uh, you will find links to the extra ball and all the merchandise, the mugs and stuff like that, T-shirts at thesquareball.net. We'll turn it in for now. Thanks for listening to this one. We'll see you in a bit. The Square Ball Podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money. 